Last week, we started a series called Love Revealed. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ came to this world. And one of his key missions was to show us what the love of God looks like. To reveal the love of God. And I made a statement that uh, that, that was so. That one of his key purposes of coming was to be a living example. To be the embodiment of what love looks like. What the, and more importantly, what, what, what God's love looks like. He is, Jesus is, in every sense of the world. Uh, boy, word, love revealed. That is who Jesus Christ is. Our series is based on a verse that is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And I love this verse. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This verse sums it up so well for me. Jesus Christ was sent to the world to show us the love of God, to reveal it. Last week, we saw that Jesus, God's servant, and you'll remember we were in Isaiah, and a prophecy about Jesus coming to the world was this, that God's servant, Jesus, came to usher justice into the world. We spent some time looking at that. And then today I want to spend, uh, show you another part of the purpose of Jesus coming to us. And so I'm going to ask you to read with me from the Gospel of John today. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Pay very close attention to the wording that we find in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. The Word of God says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The verse 4 in this says, Of Jesus, in him was life, 
And that life is the light of all man. Love was revealed to give life. And we sang about that this morning. It's all because of Jesus that I'm alive today. It's all because of him. It's because of who he is. The Bible clearly teaches that all life comes from Jesus Christ. He's the key to life. And in fact, he is the source of life. That is the message coming uh, of his coming to deliver people. That is, is what it's all about. It is so that we may have life again. John's gospel takes very seriously the communication of God in Jesus. That is how God communicated to the world what his love was like and what it, what is a, it is about. You see, Jesus is the message of God to us. What he did when he was here, how he lived, the words he spoke, that's the message of God. And that's, that's why here in John chapter 1, uh, we are told directly that Jesus is the Word, capital W. For John, the Word had both Old Testament context and cultural context. The, the selection of that word, word, logos in Greek, that is on purpose. Because you see God at work through his words. The word was a powerful means by which God's activity in the Old Testament takes place. When you go to Genesis and you read about how all that is created was created, God spoke it and it came to be. The word of God and Jesus is called the word. And we're told that all things came from Jesus. He is that function or that part of the greatness of God. Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. One of my favorites. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. What a huge thing when you think about it. We had some time ago a video here of, of some of the stars that God breathed out. And it was rather amazing. I've attempted in messages past to, to remind all of us. That were God to come and, and set foot, God in his, his glorious form right now as he is, were God to come and appear here on earth in all of his majesty, were he to set foot on this earth right this moment, people would die. Because you see, our God is a great and awesome God. And this, this wouldn't be God being mean-spirited or harsh with people. But I've attempted to help us remember that God is in a mighty and an awesome God. And our sin-cursed bodies cannot exist in close proximity of an unveiled, totally exposed, glorious God in our presence. The Bible says if we were to just look at Him, we would perish. We can't even be in his presence as he is in his glorified form. He's too great for us to even gaze upon. And I preached one day about the day that God told his people Israel that he was going to come and speak to them personally. And you'll recall that message, maybe God, the, the people of God, the, the Israelites, about a million strong were camping in the desert and they were out before a mountain called Mount Sinai. They were in camp there for a while and God had spoken to his servant uh, Moses and he had said to Moses, tell the people that I am going to touch down on the mountain and I'm going to speak to them and they're going to hear my voice. 
And he said, in order for them to even be prepared to hear my voice, they need three days to consecrate themselves. And they are to abstain from any sexual activity for three days. And they are to cleanse their clothes and to cleanse their hearts. Because I'm a holy God and I'm about to touch earth. And they had no concept when Moses walked through that camp and said, listen, in three days, God is coming to that mountain. They had no idea what was going to happen on that morning. But early that morning, while they were asleep in tents, suddenly they heard thunder and lightning or heard thunder. They didn't hear lightning. Lightning was peeling across the sky and they heard the trumpet blast of the coming of of the Lord God. And by the way, I love this scene in Scripture because God's God's entering is accompanied by a blast of a trumpet. And we are reminded that one day Jesus is going to come back to this earth to a trumpet blast in power and glory. Amen. We know that that is so. They awaken. They hear this very loud trumpet blast. Now, imagine your tent, your your tent camping and suddenly. And I don't know what note it was. But the Bible says it got louder and louder, accompanied by thunder. Looking up at the mountain, as they came out of their tents, they began to tremble because before them was a mountain dancing on the horizon and quaking and shaking. God came down in a big, thick cloud to veil from them that which would have destroyed them had they looked upon him. God came down and he spoke a few words to them. And the Bible tells us that they were all terrified. And they asked Moses, please tell God to stop talking. Let him talk to you. And you tell us what he says. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews of that day that even Moses, the man of God, was trembling. And God wasn't seen that day. His voice was heard. What I'm trying to say to you is what Jesus did was an enormous thing. When God left earth and came to us in Jesus, it was a big, huge thing. You see, the choices of human beings to reject God's command way back in Genesis destroyed a relationship, an intimate face-to-face relationship we had with God. But praise God that He loved us enough to send Jesus to make a uh, a repair, to restore to us a way to have an intimate, close relationship with God. And most of you will remember, because I say this all the time, but I remember Mind you again today, God is not a, he doesn't care a whit about making you religious. What God is about is relationship. That's why Jesus came. God came to us. And the way that it was done, the great miracle to me is how it was done. In order for Jesus, or excuse me, for God to come to us, Jesus stripped away everything that would have destroyed humanity. Just by being in God's presence. And somehow, in a miracle that is bigger than I can understand, all that was God fit into the body of a little baby that was formed in a womb just like you and I were. And somehow God God stripped away because, and we read this today, Jesus is very God. He is all God and all human all at once. But somehow, from birth to grave, he lived a human life among us. All to be with us. All to communicate his love for us. 
all for love to be revealed and to bring us life back because we had spurned that and destroyed it and it was gone. Jesus is God's message. He is the word of God. Now, I could just stop right here to be very honest with you and I could spend the rest of our time here together this morning just looking at the enormity of what God did and I'd be happy. I would feel like I've been to church just thinking about that enormous thing. But what I would like us to do is consider for just a few moments how God would have us to respond to this. This big, huge thing that he did. What is it that God wants? Why did he go through all of this trouble? Why did Jesus strip himself and become a human being? What is this about? I said to you it's relationship, but I want us to speak a little bit more specifically about how do we respond to the word, capital W, the word of God. I would suggest to us that first we must recognize the word of God. Verse 10 tells us he came into the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I'm going to be very transparent with you for a few moments and tell you I don't very much like this verse in Scripture. I, it, it, it hurts my heart. Our Creator came to us. We belong to Him, and yet most of the world failed to even recognize Him. He was right here. And instead of humanity embracing our loving Creator, relatively few of us even noticed that he was here. And most of us ignored him. And even if that, even on top of that, there were many others who outright just rejected the Lord God. And I will tell you, it's the same in our world more than 2,000 years later. This is difficult for me to, to digest because I have come to love him so very much. But, but the amazing reality of our culture and cultures around the world is that most people in the world do not recognize the word of God. He came to us. He was right here. And we do not recognize him. So many laid their eyes on him and so many of them in his day when he walked the earth heard his claims to be the son of God, heard him say that he is God and they just did not believe them. And I, I asked myself, why? He performed miracles around them. He did things that only God could do and still many of them shut their heart to him and said, nope, that cannot be the Messiah. That cannot be God. And I wonder about it, and I'll again tell you transparently, it bothers me a great deal that that has happened. And I think that perhaps one of the reasons why they rejected him is because he just didn't fit their preconceived notions of what God would be like. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that Jesus' physical appearance had nothing about him that made him stand out or make him extraordinary or made him a person who had a lot of charisma physically that people would be drawn to him. In fact, people just he was just one of those guys physically that they didn't pay much attention to. And, and people, it, to me, it's an amazing thing to see 
that people just would lay their eyes on him, hear his claims, and just decide, no, that can't be God. He doesn't look like God. Jesus didn't fit their conception of what God is like. Maybe he didn't sound the way they expected him to sound. And so what happened is so many of them who were present and heard him, they were right there with him. They saw miracles. They heard his words. So many of them stumbled. They just did not recognize him. And that was prophesied about in Isaiah 18. Hundreds of years before he walked the face of the earth. I, Isaiah 18, 13 through 15 says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and capped. It's an amazing thing that happened, but it is true. Hebrews 11, 6 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I say to you, recognizing the word of God takes faith. Amen. Amen. Especially today. It is certainly true today, and I'm always amazed when I see or I encounter, I hear a human being who virtually demands that if if God wants me to believe in him, then he's going to have to prove his existence to me. And I want to lovingly say he's already done that. Okay, we have evidence all over the place that there is a God and that he has come to this world. And this is a good enough evidence right here. So many will reject this book. And almost every time I've talked to people like that, people who doubt that the Bible is God's word, people who doubt that the universe was created by God, people who doubt that Jesus is divine. The issue is that they just cannot find it in themselves to accept and receive and more importantly, recognize. Recognize the word of God as he appears to them. He doesn't look enough like God to them. So they want more proof. They want what, what has to happen. They want a lightning bolt across the sky to write their name and say, Dear so-and-so, I'm here. Sign God. We want signs. We want miracles. We want God to show up. We want God to do what only God can do so that we can believe him. And I want to say this lovingly. He already did it. He already hung on a cross. He already did the miraculous before us. And we struggle with this. Our world struggles with it. And so many cannot accept him because he doesn't line up with our ex expectations of what God should look like, what God should sound like, and what God should do. When I pray a prayer, I expect God to answer it. When I say to God, I want so-and-so, then I expect him to do it exactly the way I want him to do it. It's arrogant, and I don't mean to sound unkind, but who are we to demand anything from the creator of the universe? He came to his own world. The world was made by him. The world didn't recognize him. It's an astounding thought. 
Let me show you some results of a survey done by the Barna Group. It's a it's a research Christian research group group. And if you'll throw that up there for me, Steve, I'm going to explain this to you. This was done last year in the United States of America, a pretty big sampling of adults in the United States of America. And then down to the teens, down to about I think it was age uh, 13. But here is here is uh, I'm sorry, it's a little hard to read. So I'll give you uh, what this is. I believe Jesus was. And the black, the answer would be God. The kind of greenish light color would be only a religious leader or spiritual leader. And the white means not sure. And you'll see it's broken down here. Of all adults in the United States, 56% say, I believe Jesus is God. That's that's an encouraging number, I think, more than half. And then when you look at the, the I think he was only a spiritual leader, you get about 26% when you take all of the adults and the teens together. That's kind of where we are. Then it's broken down in various generations. And you will see kind of some changes that occur. Less than half of the millennials believe that Jesus is God. Less than half. About 48 percent. And that means uh, about uh, 35 percent say, no, he's just a religious teacher. He's just another one of them. And then you come to the most the oldest people in our population. That's the strongest as far as their belief that Jesus was God and so on. So I'll show you this uh, or give you a link to this if you're interested in looking at it. We're going to look at one more graph that was telling to me if we can go to the next one. And this is asked, when Jesus lived on earth, he was human and committed sins like other people. And if you agreed to that statement, if you agreed strongly, it's the bright green. If you uh, uh, strongly disagree, it would be black. And then there are shades in the middle. I'm going to go with agree strongly and agree somewhat. Okay, if you're looking at that and you can do the math, more than half the uh, adults and teenagers in the United States believe that Jesus committed sin. More than half believe that as you're reading that and then you can see the breakdown. And I'm using uh, agree strongly and and then um, and then agree somewhat. You can see kind of the breakdown of where that falls. More people in the United States, adults and teens, believe that that Jesus was uh, that Jesus committed sins like every other people than people who don't believe that that would strongly disagree. I'm just showing you this to illustrate a little bit uh, what I'm saying. He came into this world and this world did not recognize him. I'm going to say this and I, I am not here trying to offend anybody, but I am going to tell you what camp you're in. If you don't believe that Jesus is divine, you don't recognize him. If you don't uh, if you don't believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, you don't recognize him because the Jesus you believe in did not exist. A Jesus who committed sin never was on this earth. Not not the Jesus of the Bible. And so I just need to say that I say it in love. But he came to his own. And we failed to recognize him. The world was made by him and we failed to recognize him. People have trouble recognizing the word of God. And by the way, church, this is why we must pray for those who struggle with unbelief. It doesn't come easily, does it?
Some of us had our struggles, haven't we? We've wrestled over these very questions. Is Jesus really Jesus? Is he really the divine son of God? And did he ever sin? And some of us, uh, there's more information on this survey about how many people believe he was actually married. I mean, so I'm just saying that's the culture we're part of and we live in in the United States. And it shows us that we need to pray. And it shows us that we need to love people. And it shows us why we are needed in our society as a church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're the ones who can help people recognize Jesus Christ. The second thing, I'll move a lot faster now. The second thing that I, I, I would like to suggest to you is we not, we not only need to recognize him, we must recognize him. But in order to relate to God the way he wants us to relate to him, we must receive the word of God. We must receive it. He came, verse 11, did that which was his own and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, I love this verse, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children not born of a natural descent or a husband's decision or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I love those verses and praise God for that. But listen, this, this, this idea of receiving the word of God is an important thing for us. It's one thing to, to recognize, I believe he's God. I believe that he is the, the divine son of God and I, I recognize him to be that. I recognize that what the Bible says of Jesus is true. That's a huge step. It's a big step. But we're not there yet. We have to receive him. We have to incorporate him, the Greek word for the word receive. And I promise you I'm not a Greek scholar, but I did a little research, and the Greek word is lambano, L-A-M-B-A-N-O. And, and I don't know very much uh, Greek, but, but here's what it means. It means to associate like a friend, to have a very close relationship like a companion. John says that we belong to the word we already do. He, we are his own, but we do not receive him. That's what he said there. And we do not receive the word of the Lord. We do not receive Jesus. When we do not let the word of God get close to us, or we hold him at arm's length, then that's not receiving him. Understand what he is, and I've said it again before, what he really wants is a relationship with you. He wants to make you his. He wants you in his family. He desires to have an intimate, close relationship with you. So to receive him, you draw him close and he becomes your world. He's the creator. He's the lamb of God. He's the savior of the world. And that's what Jesus has come. He's revealing the love of God to you. And so he came into the world to do this. Understand that when we receive the Lord, when we receive the word of the Lord, we must do so on his terms, not ours. We can't compromise on that, folks, because God doesn't compromise. And it's one of the one or the other. It's sort of like you can't be sort of married. You're either married or you're not married. Boom. You can't be in between. Okay, some of you are single and some of you are married. And you're either married or you're not. And you can't kind of be a Christian. You can't sort of have a relationship with the Lord. You're either born again believer who loves Jesus Christ or you're not. And to recognize him is wonderful. But there will be people in hell who recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord of Lords. There will be demons in hell who recognize him. It's, it's more important that we receive him. Thirdly, let me suggest to you that we must respect the word of God. 
I could put regard, I could put reverence. It kind of means the same thing. But let me share what John said here, verses 14 through 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this one I spoke about when I said he who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace. In place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only son. Who is himself God. And is in closest relationship with the father. And has made him known. Listen. It's so important that we recognize. Who Jesus is. And that we receive him but in recognition that we treat him for who he is. If he is who he says he is, he is the Lord of glory. And we are just people. His majesty deserves our respect. Amen. His majesty deserves our best. When we we pay homage to him in, in worship and we praise his name, that's why when I come to church, I want to do my very best to worship well. Because Jesus is glorious. We must respect. We must regard. We must reverence the word of God. Now practically everyone in here has a nativity set. Probably some of you have one set up in your home. If not, you have seen them. And you know what I'm talking about. I love nativity sets. Uh, this time of year they come out. And and I I... I kind of glean some pretty cool meaning from them. For most of us, I would think pretty much all of us, in our display for our nativity set, the manger is in the middle of the display. And in the manger is a newborn baby, the baby Jesus. It's bracketed usually uh, by Mary and Joseph. And then there are some angels and animals and shepherds and three kings. And they're all there. And, and that's wonderful. The thing that a nativity uh, display reminds me of is the uniqueness of the child. This is a depiction of a child who was born to be worshipped. He was already worshipped before he came. And that's one of the things I love about a nativity set. You see the depiction of everything is worshipping Jesus. Jesus is in the center and there's a lot of worship there. Every figure is focused on the child and they're worshipping him. And please know that a typical nativity display is not meant to be historically accurate, and it is not. For example, the three kings were not present when the when the the shepherd boys were present. Okay, I, I know we have them all there together. It didn't happen on the same night. The three kings weren't there in Nazareth. They went to Jerusalem. They saw Jesus long after. They did not see him in a manger. We understand all of that. We we see that it is not meant to be historically correct. What it does, though, is encapsulate for us why and what Christmas is about. And the, the thing that I love about it is you see Jesus, the child, being worshipped by the adults as they bow before him. Even the animals seem to praise his name. And I want to tell you that in real life, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is praised and honored by those who love him. And even the elements. Obey his voice. He is a great God and he deserves to be respected and loved. My point here 
is all we need to reverence this one. He's not just a man upstairs. Amen. He is the great God of heaven and earth. He is the savior of the world. But here's what I'd ask you to sit with today as we're, we're just now coming to the end of this, this day that we have spent together in worship together. Probably the exact crowd will never be in, a, in the same room together again. And so this is a moment of destiny for some of us. And I ask you to consider it as such. Ask yourself, what do I find the most challenging to do? Recognizing the Lord God, receiving the word of God, or respecting him properly? Listen, this whole level of respect, one thing. Respect is shown in how we live for Jesus. Can we just glibly sin and go, eh, no big deal. Because if you do lovingly, I tell you, that's not respectful at all to Jesus. If you can just kind of just say, oh, well, God will forgive me. And you just go and do the thing you want to do when you know the Lord would have you not do it. Or you, you just tell God, no, I'm not going to do something you have told me to do because I just don't want to do it. And you think that that's respect. I, I need to tell you that's not respect. Try doing that to your parents. And you parents who are here, you don't want your kids acting that way to you. So, again, what, where, where would the challenge be for you? If you're sitting here with these questions, what do I find the most challenging? Recognizing, receiving, or respecting the word of the Lord. And secondly, what should I do to address this, this area of most challenge for me? Well, for some of us, it may be just to start with an apology to the Lord. You may have to just say, God, I have been extremely disrespectful and I ask your forgiveness. Some of us here may have not. Well, you may recognize who who he is, but you've not received him. And some of us may not even be a, just being convinced as a, I say often with every fiber of my being. I know that Jesus is Jesus. I believe him. I recognize him wherever you are. What step should you take? What do you want to take? Can you bow your head very, very quickly? I won't try to manipulate anybody here today, but I do want to take a moment here to take the opportunity. Is there somebody here who is today, this very moment, willing to say, look, I recognize the Lord and I have been recognizing him. I know who he is, but I know that I have not fully received him. I have not brought, I have not asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And today. Today, I want to receive the word of God in my heart. I want him to be my savior. And so today, I give my heart to him. Would you lift your hand if that's what you're doing today? Where I sit, I am receiving Christ by faith and receiving his mercy. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there anyone here who would say, you know what? Where, where I'm struggling is just this whole level of living it out, living a life that's reverencing my God and respecting him and Pastor Ken I acknowledge that before God and I'm just asking for him to forgive me and help me to move forward to show the proper love and respect to him and if you'll slip your hand up before God this is between you and you myself and the Lord I will pray for you this week God bless you God bless you many hands many hands I need your prayers on this Pastor Ken God bless you Amen. You may put your hands down. Father, thank you for your presence. We, we, 
have been aware of you in the earth from the moment we came. So thank you for this good day. Thank you for the celebration we got to have over seven people receiving Christ in our our ministries this week. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And, Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. I pray, Father, we don't just walk out of here and forget what transpired in this room, but that we will act upon the things that you have laid upon our hearts to do. Give us obedient hearts and courage to do your will. Thank you again. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.